We're in chapter four now of Ephesians. Good morning, Pat. Chapter four in Ephesians, and we're just going to look at the first six verses, actually, of this chapter. Um, kind of makes for a good segment. Uh, seven kind of goes into another section, and so we're going to look at just the first um, periscope or whatever you want to call it here, the first six uh, verses of Ephesians 4, and here's what it says. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. I, such strong stuff in that first six verses that we actually probably have like, I, I could probably go four days just on those six verses, but we're going to try to get it all into two. And, and, and so when we look at Paul, uh, you know, Paul starts out here saying he's a prisoner. Um, the, the word here is for, uh, and, and there's a lot of debate, actually. I mean, there's there's so much um, sometimes when you get into the contextual of the, the translations, there's a lot of conversation, I shouldn't say debate, about the use of the word for, because the, the original word has more of this idea of in, in, I'm a prisoner in the Lord, or you could say for the Lord's purpose and actions. That's kind of how you could put four in there, but it's more, I'm a prisoner in the Lord. This has nothing to do with the Romans. This has nothing to do with uh, that political, uh, you know, a system of the Romans that had him in prison. He's a prisoner for God because he chose to be, chose to be used. However, and he, it was almost this idea in this picture, you could say of my prison is not the four walls, right? I am a prisoner. I am a slave to the Lord. And whatever his goodwill and purpose is, I will do it. Whether that means to be hungry, I'll be hungry. If it means to be in a jail, I'll be in a jail. What, and that's, that's what Paul is saying here, that I am a prisoner in or for the Lord's purposes and for his activity. Good morning, Ray. So Ephesians 4 is kind of a turn. It, it, it turns the letter from um, kind of Paul's descriptions to something else. And so it starts with kind of, if you will, five very bold strokes about what Paul believes about the church as they confront their current society. So he's writing to these churches who are dealing with the Roman oppression. They're dealing with this Roman ideal of you bow down to us, you bow down to me, that the uh, emperor is now a god, and so you have to agree with me um, or else. And he's pointing out five kind of key strokes that spoke to the churches then and kind of speak to us today. You know, that first we are called to be true to our calling and destiny as the body of Christ and one with Christ. 
right? We're to be one with Christ and in unity with all believers. He says that in verses two through four. You know, called was this idea of we were called first out of sin, out of this world. We are called to be foreigners and aliens, to be strangers and not caught up by, by the issues of this world. And that doesn't mean we don't stand up for injustice, okay? But it does mean that we don't get caught up and swayed by media, that we don't get caught up and swayed by, you know, other things in this world and the sin that is so around, like the hate that is going around right now. But we do get caught, we do allow ourselves to stand up for injustice. And then we are called into service. We're called into the service of God. So we're called out of the world and sin, and we're called into the service of God and going where he goes, proclaiming his message of justice and mercy and grace. He calls us to walk in that, you know, in your calling, we walk, we walk worthy, right? And walk in a manner worthy, you know, walk, it's an action word. It constitutes action. It's a daily decision. It's a daily to say, dear Lord, please make me more focused on you than on anything else. Lord, may my righteous indignation come only on things that break your heart. You're called to walk. You know, the second thing, the, kind of the bold stroke, the second thing is to remember that the unity is not monochrome. It's not uh, uniformity that, you know, we've talked about that in other passages, that the unity we are called to is unity of heart, unity in Christ, seeing each other as whole. And, you know, that's if, if we will, we turn today to what's going on in the news and peaceful individuals that by and large are trying to be peaceful and they're trying to get a message out. Again, Dr. John Perkins is a voice that if you don't know that name, you need to. Um, elderly gentleman who has gone through quite a bit in his life. And he said something yesterday that just kind of hit me. And, and this just kind of uh, puts a little bit more in perspective even for me. His, he, you know, he's African-American. He's a black guy. And, and uh, his brother went to World War II and fought. And he goes... Racism, ra racism, actually, prejudice, separation, segregation, actually got stronger after World War II because they allowed so many individuals, which they had in all the other wars, to fight. But when they came home, they thought they were fighting for everybody's freedom. And his brother, a World War II that was in line at a theater and an officer came over and just randomly they would just go up and down the line and the the line of black individuals and just beat them on the head with the billy club you know not not senseless just you know bop them put them in their place and his brother turned and as he turned the officer took that as aggression stepped back and shot him twice in the stomach a world war ii vet thought he was fighting for his freedom. Those are the stories that we need to hear. Those are the stories that have caused the systematic call that just because, 
because I have a different color of skin that I might be looked down upon. Unity is not monochrome and it's not uniformity. Third thing he calls us to is to remember the church is a living organism full of life, made up of living people who are responsible for growth and care of character and personal development. As we use the gifts that Christ has given us, we are called to our own personal growth with Christ. We are called to build in our character. We are called to learn to love him more. And fourth, Christ's purpose is that the church members then reach this spiritual maturity. He talks about that more down in verse 13. But with that end in view, God in mind, he gives us gifts as we reach towards spiritual maturity. You know, I have people all the time say, I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know what. And, and you can take a spiritual gift test until you're blue in the face and still not fully know what your gifts and talents are. And the heart of it is this, it's growth. A brand new believer or a 20 year first year believer, you know, we need to grow in who God has called us to be. And as we grow, he makes it evident what our gifts are. He makes it evident. We've had some people that have stepped up and they have found their gift when they've been struggling in the past, maybe found their gift in feeding the students in our county. They found their gift. As we grow and as we mature, as we grow in character in the word of God, and who the Holy Spirit is speaking into us is who we are to be, we find our gifts. You know, the fifth thing then is that churches progress. Churches' progress is marked by growth from infancy to maturity as it studies the character of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. We grow to be more and more like him. More and more. To show the marks of spiritual maturity, Paul talks about in these verses. The marks. He's calling us to the spiritual maturity. Humility. Gentleness. Patience. Bearing with one another. These are all ways that then we grow into building the unity of the Spirit in the body of Christ. So if we don't see unity in our churches, look at one of these. One of these four may be suffering. One of these four may be taking a back burner. And therefore, we are not seeing unity in our churches. So here's the four marks. As we look into each one of those that I just listed, let's look into those a little bit bigger, a little bit deeper of what God calls us in each of these. Well, let me just throw in there before I get to these four, because that call for growing in these four is a growth into holiness, and that's what our denomination stands for. So it's one of the main foundational points that built our denomination. It's why we were formed in the 1800s or 1903, actually. Um, 
We are called towards holiness. It's our new high and high obligation to seek to live lives that are worthy of the call of Christ. So here's the four marks that Paul's talking about, the four marks that distinguish us as believers, the four marks that we are to grow in. First, it, it was humility. He mentions humility, and this is often the most hated and despised trait in the world around us, right? Humility is not something that the world looks highly on. It's the opposite of pride. It's the opposite of ego. It's the opposite of thinking really well of yourself, right? In a way, we'll, we'll get there. But humility and pride, pride, you could say, is the root of all sins. Pride was the downfall of Lucifer. He wanted to be like God. Pride, you could say, was the first lie told in the Garden of Eden. It was a prideful lie of, oh, well, you really believe him? I mean, come on. You know better than that. You want to be like God, knowing right and wrong. Come on. It's pride. Friedrich Nietzsche was a German, very renowned hater of God and Christians. Um, which, by the way, out of a lot of his thought, influenced a lot of thoughts of Darwin and evolutionism. And evolutionism was, you know, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of thoughts that came out of this time and through Frederick Nietzsche and others. Frederick Nietzsche hated God and Christians and despised the term humility. He despised it. He hated the concept of humility. He claimed that uh, we lay claim to it as believers because we're weak underdogs is what he said. And we can't better ourselves. Thus, we use humility as an attempt at self-consolation. That's all he saw humility to be. He saw humility to be a weakness. He saw humility to be something that you only use because you can't get any better and you can't make yourself any better. Pride over humility led to his teaching of what was called power ethics. Power ethics, and there's a term right now in uh, um, that's still used today, might makes right. Might makes right. It came from Frederick Nietzsche. He hated humility. So if you're the most powerful person in the room, then whatever you do is right. And man, there's a correlation right there to what our brothers and sisters in Christ are saying. Hey, America, come on, listen. Might makes right. You realize Frederick Nietzsche was one of the leading voices that Hitler listened to and used to found and make right everything he did the atrocities against another race, the atrocities against the Jewish people. Humility is our expression 
Well, according to Nietzsche, humility is the expression of a conquered person, not a conqueror. And they put high weight in being a conqueror. And so it's kind of unique that we use it in a biblical sense, saying, no, humility is a sign of somebody who is a conqueror, a conqueror against this world and sin and death. But realizing that I have been conquered by Christ and surrendered everything to him. That's humility. And we do that as believers by realizing that Christ taught humility. The one who washed the feet of the disciples, took the place of the lowest of the low slaves, washed their feet, including Judas. Jesus taught and personified humility that we are called to in the church. The second mark of a Christ follower is uh, this term gentleness, or the original word uh, is often translated meekness. And, and meekness sometimes has a better meaning than gentleness, just depends on, you know, because words have meaning to us depending on our where we grew up and, and those type of things. And so meekness um, and humility it, it grows together. Being gentle, being being meek, not weak. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not allowing everybody to walk all over you. But being gentle of spirit, being humble, being gentle. Uh, humility, if you've ever heard the kind of the, the the turn on words, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It doesn't mean you don't think about your own desires, your own wants, your own needs, but it means that you put them at a level lower than what God wants from you. Because God is more important. Meekness, you could say, is self-possession. It's self-possession and even self-control. Self-possession and self-control under unexpected circumstances. A callous word, callous action, those things hurt, and they can set us off. But as we're growing in Christ, we grow in humility and realize and see the brokenness in somebody else because we understand the brokenness in us. And then we can meekly, gently take those hurts and give them to God because we realize that they're just lashing out at others. Humility and meekness are prime contributors to unity. Pride is the arch enemy of unity. The world wants us to be prideful, arrogant, and not searching. Meekness gives serenity. Meekness gives peace and self-control. Even under the persistent attack of injury or insult, meekness allows us to gently, humbly respond instead of angrily respond. Now that one's hard, isn't it? 
That one's hard. When somebody speaks out against you, it's very easy to react. And we don't always react in kindness. The third thing then is patience or long suffering, right? Patience and long suffering. It's this continuing, con continuing humility and meekness in the spirit under persistent or even permanent pressures of wrong inflicted. We are called as believers to humility, gentleness, and patience. And then the last thing he calls us to is this bearing with one another. Even when you don't get their personality, <laughs> bearing with one another. Even when they're put in charge and not you, you bear with one another. You know, there are a lot of theologians look at these four and go, this has a bit of a progression to it. That when we first seek humility, we then be able to seek more gentleness. And then we're able to speak, seek more meekness, patience. Then we begin to bear with one another because we understand the grace and the love of our God. Good morning, Jennifer. And all these things grow together. Humility leads to meekness, to patience, to bearing with one another. And then they all produce unity. Unity that we are called to. That unity of the one body. Paul calls us to maturity grows our unity, the unity of the Spirit, and it's maintained by the bond of peace. Real power is not in boldness, but in humility. Not in aggression, but in gentleness. Not in short-fused, but in patience. tolerance to give freedom to those around us freedom to be healed by Christ ultimately that's the most important thing and then peace bearing with one another is the coolant bearing with one another listening to one another is the coolant to the hatred the world brings to us today. How as a church can we do that more? So unity is a divine gift. And let me I'll close it out with this. And tomorrow we will talk about um, the unity. The unity of these seven terms that he brings out here. So we've talked about the four marks of Christian fellowship. Well, what do those four marks then give us? And that's this sevenfold ones. Just in the first six verses, he says the word one seven times. One body, one Lord, one spirit, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one God. 
And so we're going to look at those ones tomorrow. And how out of the four marks that we've been given, which drives us towards the unity, and in unity, spiritual, physical, and emotional unity, we then grow into these seven ones. It's the call of Christ on us, the body of Christ. To be one. Dear Heavenly Father, we we ask forgiveness for the times that we're not humble. We ask forgiveness for the times where we're not gentle. Forgiveness for the times that we are not patient and long-suffering. We ask forgiveness for the times that we don't bear with one another and we leave others to their sorrow and their grief and we ignore it. So Lord, humbly, humbly we repent. As believers, as individuals, corporately, we repent. Make us more humble. Make us more loving and more lovable. More gentle. More long-suffering. I mean, what a great example we have of a God who at the beginning of the, before even creating the world, you knew the sin that would come into the world and that your son would have to come to redeem us. And you did it. You put up with us. And you still put up with us. When we get it wrong, when we make a mess of your creation, when we make a mess of great nations even that you've set us up in, we destroy them. We get in your way. So God, we seek your healing, your reconciliation. That's the reconciliation. We don't need race reconciliation because, God, there is only one race. There is one body under one Lord. We are all created in your image. But, Lord, we need reconciliation. That begins with reconciliation with you. That leads to reconciliation with each other. It's not a either or. It's a both and. Because you call us in these marks of the body of Christ. To build us into more unity. So God, as we humbly pray for our world. There are so many more hurts and pains. There, there are. We've seen them. And when they crop up, when they come to light, may we be there to help bring reconciliation. But that only comes as we grow in maturity, in spiritual maturity, 
as we grow in character, character of your Son. Only then can we speak into the issues like Gladys Aylesworth speaking into the issues of her day as a missionary of Hudson Taylor. So many great individuals who made a difference in their cultures, in their worlds, because they sought to bring you into the dialogue. As you help us to humble ourselves on both ends of the spectrum, you help us to seek gentleness, meekness, patience. And we learn to bear with each other's hurts and sorrows and griefs. God, may we be a people that are so marked by you when nothing else matters. We love you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great afternoon.